So welcome to episode 24 of Killing the Great White Male. Please be sure to uh, share this thing around, um, talk about it with people, You go buy the book, start a conversation, do something with this. Don't let it just live between your ears. We've got work to do. So when we left off last time, TL and I were talking about How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. And we'd gotten to that point where TL just handed this perfect line because it lines right up with the book, My Racist Introduction, uh, which is the opening material for the book. So let's dive right back in there. Let's do our best Patrick Stewart and engage. It's our racist introduction. It's just, okay, so right there, I guess let's, uh, can we dive into that one, like right off the bat? Sure. Um, sure. Because I'm one of those people who has definitely made the argument that it, uh, you're not a racist. That, oh, well, yes, I definitely used to say that too. Um, <laughs> uh, but I've definitely, like, even with, you know, a few weeks ago, made the argument that, no, it, racism is not the same when coming from a person of color um, because power is not present the same way. Well, no, I'm even, see, I'm oh, already tempering. He tore down that argument with me. What, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, he completely, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, what just happened? Okay, I thought I heard crazy noise. But <laughs> I'm sorry about that. No. Yeah, we're still we're we're taping. <laughs> the um he he completely tears down that argument um of race um of black people not being in power and them not having the ability to be racist. Um, now to a degree, I still agree with a lot of that statement of we, we black people can't be racist. We're not in power to be racist. But how he defines racism and in his book, Anti-Racism, we absolutely would be racist. <laughs> yeah. we, without a shadow of a doubt, we, we absolutely would be racist. And, and, and just some of the things that we, we just jump back, how we, how we um, have a viewpoint against um, immigrants like Jamaicans that come to mm. live in America or, or um, Haitians that come to live in America. I mean, heck, I, 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 like you said, I hold a black space on my show yeah. and – I just had a conversation about Kamala Harris and I'm very much, like I said, I'm very much a black guy. I'm very much a, a person who agrees and, and likes to categorize himself as an American descendant of a slave or a native black American. And those two distinct categorizations of being American descendant of a slave totally categorizes us to distinctly say we have a different ill than someone who migrated to America like a Jamaican or like a Haitian. Yeah. So as he explains it, that's, that's, that's definitely a, a, a racist viewpoint and it's not pushing to be anti-racist with that, with that point of view. Well, so there's a bunch, there's a bunch around this cause it, okay. So let's, let's go down that rabbit hole first. Um, so okay. Is, is is there a, a statement of saying, you know, for me, you know, for for someone who is a native black American, as, as you distinguished from like, you know, somebody who, you know, emigrates directly from, say, the Congo today, um, 
or somebody who comes here from the Caribbean, which, by the way, like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of writing about this. One of my favorite authors, Alexander, she writes about this um, and her shock as she she came here back in the what 60s um, for college and noticing that people treated her like an African-American, even though she was very much a uh, a black Caribbean woman. Um, and mm-hmm. so like just the, those experiences were very jarring for her, um, because she came from a place where she, you know, she was the majority and then coming here where the, uh, the native black American identity is so marginalized. Um, so like, how is it, is it still racist to say, you know, there, there's important solidarity here. Is it still racist to say it's important to understand our heritages? Um, or, or can I don't that know be... that. Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 you finish. Well, it, it, I mean, is it anti-racist to, to be able to note that heritage, to have those spaces? How, how does that dance? What did you come away with on that? So in the book, he does talk about uh, people who, who support assimilation into the culture. He also talks about people who are segregationists in the culture. And then he also talks about separate but equal. Yeah. I don't know that I would, I don't know that me myself would say that it's racist to have an importance on understanding your background or your culture and to, to, to identify or categorize these cultures as separately. I I, I think I, I tend to lean on the separate but equal, which he, clearly defines as something very different than segregationist because separate but equal means I want us to be on the same level playing field. It's just, I want my category of people to, to be important in my world of category of people. So specifically as when I talk about ADOS American descendants of slaves, and I say they have a very different eel of, a, a migrant that would come here from Jamaica or, or, or Haiti or any Caribbean Island. Yeah. Um, but yet they're categorized in all of native black American world. It's just, Hey, you're black. That's what you yep. are. I don't think it's racist for me to go, Hey, we're, we're, we're moving towards this direction, trying to fight for, let's say reparations is one of the conversations that I have a lot. Um, we're fighting for reparations and reparations will specifically apply to American descendants of slaves. And when I say American descendants of slaves, that's a very specific group of people because American descendants of slaves and their ancestors had to deal with, um, slavery and, and, um, reconstruction and Jim Crow and um, redlining and and so on and so it just goes down the line. Now yeah. you may have had to deal with slavery in from your ancestral background in the in your homeland, but not as we've had to deal with it in America. And us trying to trying to make a case for reparations in America, I don't think it's racist to categorize and place a the 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 case around a specific group of people that's just how it has to be in order for it to be a sound case and yeah so i don't i don't think it's racist at all at all i I think it's more important to recognize separate but equal it so i'm struggling with that one personally because it i also really recognize that you know if somebody i I remember a, a man that was in a in a 
chaplaincy program that I was in back in 2005. Um, he was Haitian. Um, God, he made an, he brought an eggplant dish. I'm trying to remember. I don't remember. Anyway, that's what I remember was he brought this eggplant dish that he made, um, that was Mm -hmm. Haitian. Um, but anyway, he was treated the way black people are treated in this country. Mm-hmm. So part of me, like he, he ends up with major challenges to accumulation of wealth, major challenges to uh, any power or privilege. Um, he ends up marginalized and oppressed. Now it's not a general generational thing, or it is, but it's different because it, I can't really claim Haiti hasn't been oppressed. That's been a fantastically oppressed, marginalized, and shat on. You got it. Place, and by the same powers that again, that the U.S. benefited from. So let's be real clear. We're part of that system, even though, like, I hear your argument that we're not the ones who were directly responsible. Necessarily. I don't know. The whole thing's just fucked up. What the hell do we do with that? <laughs> like, You're struggling with it. Royce is like, dude, like, I can't, I can't get this out because it's all, it's all just screwed. It's all foobar. Yeah. No, I get it. No, I, I, I get that. The, but again, I, I think when, the when forty you, acres and a mule wasn't promised to his ancestor, though. You because for, forty acres and a mule wasn't pro, promised to his ancestors because his ancestors didn't deal with what I would consider my ancestors dealing with. Yeah. That doesn't make him less of a person. The fact that he still has to deal with what Native Black Americans have to deal with because he gets grouped with us yeah. is just a very just a different case. And that's why I say separate but equal. It's you have you you he does have a case. And how, do, how does he put that case together? It may be hate, the, the struggle of Haitian people, which I, as a native black American, don't know. I don't know what his ancestors um, went through. I don't know that background. And I don't have um, the, the historical facts to, to place it together. But maybe that comes, that, that background is then latched on to what we have as a native black argument of, my people migrated to America, and when we migrated to America, we also had to deal with redlining, yeah. and we also had to deal with um, mass incarceration because we were lumped into this big group of of, of people who who you guys had already marginalized and, and oppressed. It's not that it's that my case is uh, more important or better than; it's just different. Yeah. It. So one of the, you mentioned the separate be, but equal thing. Um, one of the things that Kendi does really, really well is look specifically, I mean, the book, his argument, by the way, folks, is that policy is what matters. That uh, very much so. That policy, that once the policy is in place and things aren't, I mean, I love that spot where he just outlines it. Once the policy is in place, and the, the doomsayers bullshit doesn't come to pass. People are like, okay, well, I guess this is the way it is now, you know, like, so, and it's interesting to me as somebody who's an expert on change and what the brain goes through the second we're faced with change, that we, our brains are fundamentally opposed to change. As long as we have food, water, shelter, and meaningful social interaction, our brain will sabotage change every chance that it gets. So this makes absolute sense from a, from a neurological or psychological standpoint to me that, yeah, you know, once that policy is there, our brains just kind of, well, oh, and the terrible, the doomsday shit didn't happen. So I guess we're okay. You know, and he, he goes through that all. But when he talks about separate, but equal, 
um, after the civil rights legislation passed. Um, and he, he goes through then the problem is that the funding didn't shift. So for example, in schools, um, I can't remember all of the states that he mentioned, but it was like $35 for a, for a school that was predominantly white per $35 per student mm-hmm. here, $5 per student over here, 50 for a, uh, per student at a white school here and uh, $7 per student at a black school here. Like just this, like the inequality that actually led to the 70, what was it? 73 or 71, something like that. Uh, a thing in the seventies that actually undercut the civil rights movement because we couldn't actually accomplish the equal um, part of it. So we didn't, we didn't do the equal part. <laughs> I mean, and that's still happening. No equity. Yeah, that's still happening today. And then you, you, you actually touched on a really in, um, important part when you talk about policies. Another thing that I bring up on my show, guys, you guys got to listen to my show. I, I'm not trying to poach listeners, but I want them to support everybody. Uh, okay, in, go in, listen in, to in, his in, show. I'll, I'll poach the listeners. <laughs> Shameless plug. But well, um, one of the things that we, we talk about from, um, that you touched on is looking at policy over, over people. And he had such an important, important quote um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a Royce on this one on page 28, guys. On in dueling consciousness, he said Americans have long been trained to see the deficiencies of people rather than policy. It's pretty easy to to mistake. It's a pretty easy mistake to make. People are in our faces. Policies are distant. We are particularly poor at seeing the policies lurking behind the struggles of people. Um, I've always said. Stop arguing about the people. Yes, Trump is there. Yes, Biden is there. And yeah. whoever you're arguing about this time of the day. But let's really look at their policies and how they affect us. I'm one of those people who feel like a lot of people from my community vote and, and do things against their best interests. And I, I clearly say their best interests with pointing out things that are related to the policy, um, yeah. not trying to sway anybody's vote with this comment or sway anybody's thought process with their um, with how they vote or do things. But we have a black we have a, a, a movement for black lives right now. And yeah. with this movement for black lives, everyone's marching for um, defunding of defunding of the police or against police brutality. And they're saying all all while saying vote for Biden because we can't have Trump out here as he's the law and order president. But the two people they're telling me to vote for um which is why I always look at policy rather than the people are um, Biden who just recently stated that he wants to get $300 million to fund the police. Yes. And then, and then Kamala Harris, who's also um, the self-proclaimed top cop in, in California. So those things are very contradictory for me. Are those surface things? Yes. They're very much surface things. I'm sure if we dive down to it a little bit more, we're, we're, we'll be able to see what their intentions are for this additional $300 million that he's requesting to, to fund, um, yeah. to, to fund the, the police, um, the police force. But again, this is also, again, coming from someone who made the policy and, uh, the, the crime bill, every yep. major or minor crime bill from 1976 has had the name, um, Joseph R. Biden on it. Yep. And so this is, this is my confusion. And, and, and again, I don't say this, to again sway anybody or push them i'm looking to have understanding on why we're doing so many of those things and ibram that that very phrase uh where we've long been trained to 
see the deficiencies of people rather than the policy. Let's stop looking at the people and let's see how we can start attacking. I use that word specifically. I want to attack racist. Yeah. Attack racist policy. And so I love that, that moment right there that, um, because it's it's the opposite step that he takes in other parts of the book where he wants us to stop looking at groups of people and look at individual behaviors, which is, I mean, that's a basic, that feels like a basic thing around anti-racism. But let's point out that, again, these things are not static. They have to be shifting. They have to be, because that's the way our brains work. It's the way life is, you know. Um, so, so first off, like, just to hear also... Yeah, I was so pissed when he came out and said that. I was like, "Really? You are you even fucking listening?" Um, and I, Senator Harris, I will say, like her, her voting record when it comes to policy at the national level, her voting record is she's one of the more, most liberal, quote unquote, liberal, which whatever the fuck that means in this country. But um, right, whatever that means. Okay. But she she is more on that end of the spectrum. But I still stand here and say, and exactly, I mean, right alongside you, that I f- firmly believe the Biden-Harris ticket should be the conservative ticket in this country. Like, that's what a conservative <laughs> ticket should look like. Like, what the fuck yeah, are we doing? The, the top cop is the guy that wants to give three hundred million yep. to the cop. And but yet we're marching the world. We're marching around. Yep. Uh, as I say, marching in the darkness right now because we're marching, saying we want police reform. Uh, where we want. We want to march against or protest against police brutality, and we want to defund the police, whatever that means for you, defund the police, whether that means taking away funds or reallocating funds. I just, it just, it's just very contradictory. And again, I, I'm looking for understanding because I know I'm not the person that, 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 that is the, I'm not a policymaker and I'm not a person who, who over, overly, uh, overtly looks looks into all policies so it's definitely some understanding that i can um gain from it from especially from people who are policy makers policy kendi repeats the importance of policy over the notion of policy following minds and hearts the fact is our policies are already following our minds and our hearts and that's why they're white supremacist. He makes the very strong argument, very compelling argument, that we have to instead be willing to change policy and let our minds and our hearts follow sometimes. And I think he, he lays out a damn good case for it. He points to all the times when massive change was needed and our brains wouldn't accept it. We just couldn't imagine the world like that until the policy was in place. So I'm imagining that and I'm wondering where do I look at that? How do I reimagine policies across all of the groups that I'm a part of? Whether it's a gaming group, whether it's a church, I'm not a part of a church, but many of us are, whether it's a school how do we live an anti-racist life and how do we set up policies? How do we demand policies that reflect that? It's good food for thought. Looking forward to talking with you soon.